What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. To another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour, Mike. What's going on, Derek? I walked in the room and instantly felt self-conscious about my diet the last week. So <laughs> I'm excited to dive into all things healthy eating. But we should probably start with introductions and then dive right into our lovely conversation. That's definitely not planned. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Trisha Sauer. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I own Buffalo Nutrition and Dietetics PLLC. And I'm here with my colleague, Noelle Citarella. Hi, I'm Noelle, also a registered dietitian, nutritionist. Work with Trisha at Buffalo Nutrition and Dietetics. Um, do we introduce any further than that? Like how we got started? How yeah, let's just dive that? right into it. Yeah, we'll start with like, how did you guys meet? So um, in 2017, I arranged a business uh, agreement with Dent Neurologic Institute to take on their cognitive decline program. And at the time, I was stationed at a, diff- at a different location. And um, so I advertised a position for a neurological dietitian. And Noelle applied, along with many other applicants, and she was very passionate and super smart and had done her thesis on MS, multiple sclerosis, and so she took the job and joined us, and so she's been at the Dent Tower location ever since. Wow. So there's one little uh, snippet before that, which you might not realize. You came and talked to my class when I was... Um, doing my dietetic internship. That's right. I remember now. Yes. Thank you for the re- the refresher. Um, and I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to go into private practice. And Yay. So then it just all worked out. And then I ended up working with Trisha. Yay. Aww. So you can be a dietitian for a specialized thing. Like you said, 
neurological dietitian? Are there different branches of dietitians that are specialized in other things? So just like physicians can have a specialization, um, and just like physicians can be a family practice physician or an internist, registered dietitians can choose specialty practice areas. And each of my RDs do have a specialty practice area within our profession. And um, actually, we have two because our main branch of focus is integrative and functional medicine, which is more of a holistic, personalized approach to health and healing. It looks at the underlying cause of disease versus uh, the more allopathic nutrition therapy, which will help someone feel good short term, but it doesn't help them necessarily recover from sure. their condition. Uh, we do incorporate both, so conventional and um, integrative nutrition. Um, and then each of us have our own focus area. So I am, uh, I focus on nutrigenetics and sports nutrition and Noel does nutrigen, I'm sorry, it does, <laughs> uh, neurological nutrition. And then Erica Aitken is our gastroenterology dietitian. And then we have Carly, who is a uh, IBCLC, which is a lactation consultant, and she focuses on women's health. And then we have Ashley Carpenter, and she focuses on uh, culinary medicine and metabolic nutrition. Wow. So patients call in, and we, we, put, we uh, partner them with the right RD based on what their needs are. So how did you build out this team then? Did you want all these different branches or did it make sense as you continued growing to do this? It made sense because it, it, I, as a solo practitioner, I found I would receive calls from patients and they were looking for somebody who just knew a lot about this one topic and they'd been around and seen different dietitians and they all were just kind of generalist dietitians and they weren't just looking for somebody who understood their condition, but someone who would help them to come off meds and understand how to really address their condition from the underlying mm -hmm. cause, like I was mentioning. So um, I had this vision for branching out um, and having having a team of, of practitioners who would be passionate about a specific area and they, they could be the, uh, the go-to for sure. the subject matter expert for that yeah. subject matter expert. Yes. And also I was lonely and didn't want to practice all by myself. <laughs> and it's so much fun when you can like email or call your colleague and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And Hey, you know, mm -hmm. so. that's amazing. So what is it like to be a RD within the United States because our food standard is not like the others. And I'm sure it's a constant battle of nutrition labels and deep in-depth conversations with people that have never even heard of that specifically in Buffalo because it's Buffalo. So we're known for food, but not necessarily the best food for you, just the best food for your soul. <laughs> so what's that like? <laughs> I don't look at it as a battle as much as, like, it's a huge opportunity to help somebody learn something new, right? And then they're building new habits. So it might be like, hey, let's focus on, like you mentioned, reading labels, right? So, yeah, we do have a lot of processed food in the standard American diet. So even when you think you're choosing something, like, quote, unquote, healthy, like cereal pops into my mind. This is just an example. You can see this Cheerios with protein really big written on the package. So you think, oh, my dietitian wants me to eat more protein in the morning at breakfast, so I'm going to grab this protein cereal. 
And really it's got like one or two more grams of protein, but like 10 more grams of sugar than something else. So getting people into that habit of, okay, where should I look on the nutrition facts? What should I be looking for? What are some good like limits I should be trying to limit like added sugar to, or maybe goals? What should my fiber intake be or my protein intake? So it's really like, to me, this opportunity, because once they learn it, they're not going to forget. And then they're just, that's their new habit. They're like, oh, I I spend more time in the grocery store now. I'm reading every label. And I'm like, great, that's awesome. (laughs) It's got to be challenging though, right? Because when, when you sit down with somebody, everybody's diet is different. Everybody needs Mm -hmm. different things based off of who they are. So what is your like preliminary discussion with them to get them to that point of this is how much fiber you need. This is how much protein you need. What is that conversation like? Well, we can go over what, you know, recommended intakes might be, but always, you know, with each individual start with where they are. And I usually just kind of let my patients decide what they want to focus on. So after they, you know, we get to know each other a little bit, I learn about them and their habits, their diet patterns. And then you know, they learn from me, I can teach them, you know, here's how diet can impact, whether it's, you know, a symptom they're managing, a disease state they might have, or prevention. And then so based on, you know, what we talked about today, where do you want to start? What would you like to commit to? And so then they can choose, you know, maybe one small goal at a time, they know all the other things are possibilities to work on in the future. But maybe it's like, all right, let me just commit to, you know, reducing my cheese intake or whatever it might be but Hmm. that's one little example sure does it start with a food log usually okay or at least diet recall diet recall is my favorite because then you can ask extra questions like did you have anything else with that uh what else did you have and then oh yeah i did have this too or i did put butter on that and sometimes in the food log they may not you know record everything but we our do intake have, forms are pretty extensive. Yeah. yeah. But even our EMR, I was going to say, we have a really great EMR that allows our patients to take pictures of their food. So mm-hmm. they don't have to like handwrite every single little thing down. And it's that's an pretty app. cool. Yeah. They can snap the photo and then we can at least eyeball what they are eating if they don't want to log the exact calorie and macro totals. Jeez. Do you build up someone's macros um, like a program for them to follow or no? Yes and no. Okay. It depends on the case. So if you have somebody coming in because they have an autoimmune disease or rheumatoid arthritis or a Crohn's flare or something, we're going to focus on a gut healing protocol and helping to identify what the foods are that are triggering them and and just getting calories in, right? Um, And then eventually you can move into the focus on, you know, getting a certain specific calorie level. And of course, we want to make sure they're getting their protein and so forth. Um, And then you have patients who come in and they're, they aren't acutely ill and they don't deal with a severe complex chronic disease, but they want to manage their weight or their athletes and, or, you know, a mom who's working two jobs and and doesn't know how, where to start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it, it depends. It depends. We we read each person and see where they are. And some of them just come in and say, I can't log what I'm eating. That's too stressful. Sure. Don't even talk to me about calories. Don't even tell me what my weight is. Don't tell me. You know, I'm like, okay, I got it. We won't talk about it. And, you know. Well, logging food is so interesting because if you make your food, you're making significantly more work for you when you log it. Whereas if you just bought something, you can scan the barcode and then everything's populated there, which isn't healthier. Right. But it's more work to do it the other way, but you're just creating more work. So that's kind of 
one of the downsides to logging your own food, but everybody knows making your own food will generally probably be healthier than you typing in Big Mac and it populating the calories in the Big Mac. And you're like, well, I don't know, I ate that much. We use the Institute for Functional Medicine's uh, diet plans a lot, and they mm-hmm. show it's a two, two, they're basically two sided um, sheets that have all the food groups, and they tell you, it says right on there. You know, choose minimally processed, organic, fresh caught, give mm-hmm. the, all the guidelines for proteins and, and produce and so forth. And you can actually put the number of servings per food group and um, they can check the boxes off. So it's more of an exchange system sure. mm-hmm. for, for those who don't want to be just counting calories. And I think where you were going with it is if you focus too much on calories, you're not going to pay attention to the quality of the diet. Right. Uh, what you can eat 2,000 calories in chocolate, you know, or you yeah. can eat a, a very nutrient dense. So, the yeah. whole concept of a 2,000 calorie diet, we were talking about this a little bit ago, actually, probably a couple months ago, where we're like, sometimes I just don't eat 2,000 calories in a day. Is that normal? And like, people shouldn't just force themselves to eat just to reach 2,000 calories, right? Correct. No. In fact, we have indirect calorimetry at each of our offices where we measure people's breath uh, to determine their resting metabolic rate, how many calories they Measuring burn. people's breath? Uh, sorry. Uh, it's, it is a breath test. It's a breathalyzer technology. So it takes about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, patients will sit down and wear the mask for that length of time, and the reading will tell us what their, how many calories they burn at complete and total rest, and then we can factor in how many calories they burn from activities of daily living, whether they're sedentary, athletic, whatever, and then we know exactly how many calories because calorie needs are unique to the individual. In fact, the standard equations that have been used for a long time aren't super accurate, so it's better to get a measurement if you can and then build around that. And if you're chronically ill, you can have a depressed metabolism, or it can be very high. Um, so, are the numbers higher or lower than what we're told? Like the 2,000 calorie diet, is that overachieving or is that normally underachieving? 2,000 calories is an average, right? And men and yeah. women are both included in that average. So you can kind of think, okay, some people might be 2,500, some people might be 1,500. Sure. So, oop, let's just say 2,000 calories for everybody. Super generalized doesn't really work for most people because some people are going to be way under consuming or over consuming and lifestyle plays such a big role Mm -hmm. so i mean for some people it might work but for the most part i think it's better like trisha said to just you know individualize learn what your resting metabolic rate is and then you'll know but if you're a healthy weight you eat you know based on intuitive eating when you're hungry you stop when you're full you don't have any health concerns. There's really no need to measure, you know, what's my resting metabolic rate. But if you have questions like, hmm, am I eating enough? I'm not able to gain weight or I'm not able to lose weight, then definitely. Or the appetite is dysregulated. Yes. And Mm -hmm. people are very stressed. And if you're Mm -hmm. constantly in a sympathetic state, which is fight or flight, and you're not getting into that uh, parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest, um, it's hard to listen to your hunger cues because you can have some appetite suppression and then people get metabolic adaptation and that can cause their, them to not have hunger at all and and then they can't lose weight and adaptation is when the metabolism just slows way down. Mm. So um, yeah, it's 
there, but I would I would say that that falls under not healthy. Like mm-hmm. Noelle said, if you're a healthy person and you're balanced and you're not super stressed and you're taking care of yourself, you can totally read your hunger cues. Um, but yeah, if 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 you're not if you're you're your strain to recovery ratio mm-hmm. is way off, you might not be able to. How much does stress play into diet? Is it? I would say a lot. Yeah. Just um, because people want to eat more when they're stressed or their whole metabolic, I don't know what I'm talking about. Or, or, so like the, or they might not eat. Right. So like their whole eat. metabolic thing is just thrown off. Is that what stress triggers is your metabolic rate and how you're digesting your food or what, how does stress play into diet, I guess? So think about if you're on a battlefield, you're going to have increased cardiac output. You're going to be pushing fat and sugar out of your cells into your blood so you have energy to, you know, fight and Mm -hmm. and win. Um, That's great short term. You might have a suppression of your appetite at the time. Um, You can have that same response just at a desk job if you're very stressed and you can end up going hours without eating. And then you'll have a rebound hunger later and it can lead to overeating huge mm-hmm. rebound intakes yeah overeating sugar cravings and I, there's a trend of of sugar cravings especially at night in people who have this going on hmm. here's an example derek it literally just happened before we came here um we had family from south carolina come over this weekend they flew up we hosted obviously went to bar bill We'll talk about that later. Um, we're not going to get into trans and saturated fats. Okay, we're just going to fly right over the fact that I just talked about chicken wings, and um, then there was leftover bison dip because Buffalo experience, right? So I asked Colleen to just pick up another bag of chips because of the leftover dip, and I hate wasting food. <laughs> Naturally, here comes the party size bag of chips, and I'm like, I really want this now. And today at work was insane. Skip lunch. So I went from breakfast at 6.30 in the morning until 4 p.m. No food. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like one piece of chocolate that was from my manager's desk. I said, thanks. <laughs> and then I came home and had a huge bowl of pasta, and then which was left over from dinner last night. We'll talk about that later. And then she said, don't eat the chips save it until after your interview because you I know that you'll just have the, like you'll just have cravings in the munchies and I'm like yeah but that means I'm going to eat all of the dip and then probably half of this bag of chips <laughs> go to sleep wake up at two o'clock chug water fall back asleep wake up at five go to the bathroom fall back asleep wake up and go to work I'm like that's I already know this is going to happen but I still I'm, after today, I'm not going to do it. I'm telling you, I'm not going to do it. But you have to like, that's a thing. And it happens almost every day. Because if something at work goes astray, your whole day is shot. Most people don't pack a lunch. Right. And then you're like, okay, now what? But That's actually a tip I give some of my patients. I'm like, you know, don't worry. Pack more snacks than you think you need sometimes. You don't have to eat them all. Bring them home. Use them again the next day. Yeah. But at least that way you're not in the situation where you're like, I'm stuck at work. There's nothing there to eat except from the vending machine, which is full of garbage. So I had to do it. But if you have a bunch of snacks with you and you're like, mm, I'm hungry and I only have a few minutes, go grab those carrots and hummus. You can eat those quickly. Or almonds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're a perfect snack. Not cashews, though, because of their fat content. 
Cashews are so good, though. Mm-hmm. In yeah. moderation. Good source of magnesium. Cocoa-dusted almonds. I was going to say, you better not say cashews are bad because there's a bag on my desk right now that so, I eat all the time. <laughs> so have you ever counted macros? Yeah, and it's terrible. It's so... I was obsessed. It's such a process to do. So like doing it gets difficult, but you guys are smiling, so there's probably an easier way to do it. No, we're just enjoying just, the conversation. Yeah, because it's listening. just it, <laughs> counting macros is stressful. And I can, I use my fitness pal. That was an app, no free shout outs, but I use my fitness pal because it's cool because you can scan a barcode and it just enters everything for you. They're, they're dietitians. I know the app. Yeah. So it's awesome. Well, I'm telling everybody at home, they don't know the app. I know they know the app. Uh, it's sponsored by Under Armour, actually, I think. But yeah, so I use that and it spits everything out for me, but you have to pay for the pro plan if you really want details. But for the most part, it gives you your carbs your fats and your proteins which to somebody who isn't educated on it they still might not know because they still think that carbs are bad for you even though they're not so you really have to do research and talk to somebody that's educated in order to know what the macros even mean you can count until you're blue in the face but if you don't know what any of that information translates to you're wasting your time Mm -hmm. which is why i used it in conjunction with the plan that i had the plan was developed by somebody way smarter than me and then they're just like get the numbers so i used the pie graph in my fitness pal to then basically let me know if I was hitting the numbers that was already designed for me, and then I was just like, this is easy. Mm-hmm. But it gets to the same point. I, I was weighing food like the same – it was the same lunch every day, and then it became the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner five days a week. And I, I can do that because I don't need – change up like i can have a salad for lunch for seven months straight and it doesn't bother me at all but other people freak out so if you're using it in that sense it's super easy but do you guys do that yourselves or do you just know like oh i i like i can see through that so i'm just i already know (laughs) not to do that i can look at it and know but I'm also keeping a little better track because I'm 21 weeks pregnant. So, so you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it really matters, you want to keep an eye on it. But um, I, even a dietitian will keep an eye on it closer than eyeballing it. But yeah, we, we've got the practice. I think after a while, you get a database in your brain of how many mm-hmm. calories, carbs, protein, fats, and so forth are, are in what you're eating. You as well. But I think an easier way to think about it, at least for me, is just like portion size. Because when we learn in school, like, okay, what are the calories or the carbs and your carb counting, you're also learning the portion size. So what does a half a cup of something look like or a cup of something look like? Or you know that one medium fruit is one serving of fruit, 15 grams of carbs. Like, Mm -hmm. you just kind of can get used to eyeballing all that kind of stuff. So to me, for patients who don't want to do, you know, MyFitnessPal because it can be a lot, just focus on the portion size. And if you even like the serving spoons you use at home, if you use the same serving spoon all the time, instead of measuring every single thing, just measure what that serving spoon holds once. And then, you know, okay, the serving spoon is a half a cup. So if I have two of these, that's a cup of broccoli, one of these for my rice and the rest of my plate maybe has my protein. Yeah, or leave the easier. measuring cups out, and you can just kind of stare at them for a second and make sure it <laughs> looks right. <laughs> Which is crazy because when you're when you count, even for a month straight, that like you said, it's secondhand. Where you just, I was, I was able to do it, which is insane to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I, I know that. And my wife's just like, what are you talking about? And I was like, it's a half cup. And she's like, how? I'm just like, because it's been every day for the last month you just you just mm-hmm. pick it up it's a language math is a language it's a measurement yeah to him math a language to me i'm not <laughs> shut up derek <laughs> but like what coming to portion size you get a 10 piece chicken uh breast from wegmans 
and each chicken breast isn't necessarily one serving, which is wild to think about because why wouldn't it be? It's one piece. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how how do we as a culture kind of embrace this and try to break this whole, it's one piece, so I got to eat it? Do you see that a lot where people are just completely destroying their portion sizes just for the sake of convenience? I don't know if it's convenience or maybe they just don't know. Because sometimes I've had patients that are like, oh, yeah, I just eat the whole thing. That's one serving, right? And then when you, like, break it down and look at, okay, well, if three ounces of protein has 20 grams and you're aiming for 20 grams for a meal, this is just throwing Mm -hmm. it out there as an example, and that chicken breast could probably be cut into, like, quarters and be 20 grams of protein each quarter. And then that kind of puts it into perspective. Not only is it going to save them money, but it's also better for the environment because you're not wasting all this food overeating something that costs a lot, you know, carbon-wise or land or water, you know. So you could incorporate values into it too. Like, hey, do you value a healthy environment or, you know, not – like you didn't want to waste food, right? So you could think of overeating as wasting food. You could have ate that the next day for lunch, right? But no, you wasted it by eating it all for dinner the day before. (laughs) (laughs) You have to clean your plate. Um, Mentality. Mentality is is definitely still prevalent, especially in, um, I would say, the 50-year-old generation. Yeah, that's what my grandma told me. I have a full plate of spaghetti and meatballs. you got to finish your plate. It's not respectful if you don't. And food, I mean, yeah, but they they came from the the Great Depression and the war. So there was that. But it it even comes down to the size of our dinner plates. Mm -hmm. They're just bigger than they need to be. Like, what is, (laughs) why? Like, what is, why, why do we do this? I just don't understand. The restaurant industry wants to everybody to come and eat at their establishment. So Mm -hmm. look at our big portions. Yes, perceived value. I had a patient who went to Costa Rica and took pictures on our, our patient portal app of everything he ate and they're just these cute little portions and he came back looking great and thinner and and it was delicious food and he ate less and he was satisfied and he's not overly full but then again he's active and he's eating throughout the day i think that portions could get smaller in the restaurants if people Mm -hmm. were eating during the day and not just stressed at work all day and then going out for this big heavy meal at the end of the day and there was a lot of sun in Costa Rica, a lot of, a lot which of brings up vitamins and minerals. So yeah. there's a huge discussion about multivitamins. And then there's the debate of you can just eat that instead of taking a vitamin and how many autofillers are inside of your multivitamin. And mm-hmm. like the big pharma thing comes up. Most people don't realize that even if you do attempt to have all of your fruits and vegetables in a day, how hard it is to get it all in in a day. Mm -hmm. So do you guys recommend multivitamins or do you kind of stay away from supplementation discussions with clients? I think Noelle would agree that we want to do food first. Mm -hmm. But it all depends on the person. Do they have a malabsorptive disorder? Do they have nutrigenetic variants that are making it hard for them to absorb synthetic vitamins? which, you know, we don't recommend those. Um, those are like the cheap vitamins you'll get at Walgreens or whatever. Supplements are like diet, right? Very individualized to each person. So certain things are really difficult to get in from the diet alone. Um, calcium, vitamin D are big ones, especially if someone is avoiding dairy for any reason. Like that's probably the best source of calcium. 
Um, certain things are fortified with D, like maybe you're doing an almond milk or, you know, orange juice that's fortified. But you'd have to drink like more than three glasses a day to get adequate D. And that's based on what's the recommended intake of like 600 mm. IUs a day. And I don't know, this is just my thought, but I feel like in the future that's probably going to be increased. Um, especially here in Western New York, we see patients deficient in vitamin D all the time. And they might say, oh, but I've been taking a thousand IUs a day. Right. Why am I deficient? It's not enough. Or their doctor checked their vitamin D level and it was low and they were put on the big dose, which is 50,000 IU once a week. And they take that for a month or two and then they don't necessarily get rechecked and Mm -hmm. next year they're deficient again. So something's missing in terms of um, identifying the deficiency and then the maintenance dose after that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do need the supplement. And what if you do have, I mean, that's an insane amount of IUs. 50,000 is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Is that going to cause some sort of imbalance where your body's just kind of like, what is going on? Well, it's it's 7,000 IU a day, roughly, and some people, the, the heavier people are, the more vitamin D they need. There's diminished vitamin D absorption. Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. It's absorbed in the small intestine. The, the health of your microbiome, which is the critters that are the little architects that keep your gut healthy, the good bacteria, um, you know, basically who's there Mm -hmm. um, determines how well people absorb their their vitamin D and how healthy their intestinal lining is. Um, People have bacterial overgrowths, again, from the standard American diet, which creates inflammation and a a barrier to absorbing the vitamin. And then some people have genetic variants. There's a VDR variant. People call them mutations too, but it's an inherited polymorphism or a change from the original DNA causing reduced vitamin D absorption. And we see it all the time We do when we run the tests. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say 5,000 to 10,000 IU to correct a deficiency, but that needs to be monitored because everybody is different mm-hmm. and you can easily overdose and get a high level and that can cause kidney damage. So it should always be supervised. Interesting. I didn't, so all of us, right? Generally healthy people, everything's fine, but it's Buffalo and it's gray seven months a year. So if you have a daily vitamin D tablet, that's three to 5,000 IUs in one little serving, basically, should you still monitor what's going on or are you good to just take that every day? So it depends. What is your starting level? Oh, we always get a starting level. Mm. And then we um, we try the supplement based on how much they're currently taking in reflection of what their, their starting uh, value is and what their dietary intake is. And then we retest them after... Uh, they've maybe three months on the adjusted supplement and see where it is. And if it looks good, then that we, we create a maintenance dose that's custom to the patient. So the past couple of years, COVID came, everybody got all messed up buying toilet paper for no reason. We talked about that before we started pressing record, <laughs> but everybody was buying vitamin D and zinc. Mm-hmm. Did that help or hurt people? Like, because you, at that point then, one, you don't know what brand you're buying, so you have no idea what's actually, like, the fillers that are in there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know how much you should be taking from an IU standpoint for either of those. So generally, if you're picking up a Nature Made on the shelf of a grocery store and you're just taking a tablet, are, are, is that helping or hurting people, like, in the long run? 
or does it all depend again? It all depends again, but I would say for the short answer, vitamin D and zinc both do support a healthy immune response. So Mm -hmm. by going and supplementing that, yes, that person is trying to help support their immune response so that if they do get COVID, they're better equipped to fight it off and, you know, have less severe symptoms. Or even a cold. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just healthy immune system. Mm -hmm. The only thing that, like, not worries me, I don't stay up at night worrying about it, but I would be cautious about is zinc supplementation. If you're taking a really high dose of zinc for a long period of time, you run the risk of becoming copper deficient. And copper deficiency can have symptoms that are kind of like similar to iron deficiency, I guess, like fatigue and things that are going to make you feel worn down. And you You don't want that. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And bones, so your bones break, you know, fractures. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it isn't something that you just do forever because you're like, mm-hmm. hey, it's good for my immune system. It's like, hey, it's cold season. Hey, it's COVID season. Hey, I'm just trying to ramp up what I have, but I'm not going to do this long term forever. Would you say the same for vitamin D or it's okay for vitamin D to take it kind of every day if you get an analysis on Right. You, you could use a maintenance dose. Absolutely, yes. and yeah. you should if you tend to trend lower. So the data on bone health is you're okay if you're in the 30s, at least. The normal range is 30 to 100. Um, but the data on inflammation, which um, you know comes to mind, COVID is mm-hmm. an inflammatory disease, that the higher the, the uh, val- serum value, the more protective against inflammation. So we want a goal of 50 to 70 versus just being happy at the low 30s. And also, if you check someone in there, vitamin D is 30 in, in the middle of summer. What does it look like in the wintertime? Yeah. Is it like 19? I mean, now we're really concerned. And also, vitamin D protects against cancer. Gotcha. And helps with weight management. Can you get your numbers just from like your annual blood work that you do with the doctor? Or would you still recommend someone in your field to really look at that? I believe that vitamin D is one of the tests that requires prior authorization or documentation. And typically the MD, the PCP, needs NRD to document Mm -hmm. why we need it and uh, to justify coverage. Um, I think a lot of insurances cover maybe one vitamin D a year, which is kind of why that's the trend. Mm -hmm. But we know that if someone has a deficiency, we have to treat, check, and then figure out the maintenance uh, so that people aren't just chronically deficient. Sure. Go ahead, Noah. I have thought, just because I don't want people to be confused either that are listening, that as dietitians, we can't order labs. So when we're talking about checking labs, it's that we're working with our patients, other providers, like recommending, we'll send them, you know, here's what we recommend that you order. So it's, you know, ultimately the physicians are ordering the labs. We're just kind of you know, nudging, hey, can we reassess this vitamin D and make sure what we did worked? Because sometimes it doesn't and we need to increase the dose. Or maybe, like you mentioned before, they might have something else going on like malabsorption. Maybe they're just taking the supplement wrong. It's fat soluble. So take it with a meal that contains some fat. Mm -hmm. What is the the maintenance dose of vitamin D? Probably all depends, right? It all depends. Perfect. I I would say safe, safe starting point for... 
in IUs. 2000 IUs. Yeah. 2000 IUs. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. And okay. then and then we'll we'll always check it. You know, the, the, the we'll request it be checked. Thank you, Noel. Very good <laughs> clarification. Um, and, and then well, I was like, I don't want them to be like, hey, how come you can't order labs? <laughs> right. Yeah. I just got a, tw- a vitamin D on somebody that was 22, and they've been taking 2000 IU a day. Really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it might not be very common. Yeah. So, so I upped them, right? And then we're going to repeat it in three months and until it gets into a good place. We'll get a maintenance dose going, and and then hopefully that'll aid them in their weight loss efforts. They were 20, 22 years old, or 22 was their level? The serum was 22. What is it? 30 normal. to 70, she no, said? Normal's 30 to 100. Oh, 30 to 100. 30 to 100. For bone health, you want it to be at least 30. If you want to reduce inflammation, reduce the risk of cancer, uh, assist in weight loss, you want to be 50 to 70. Gotcha. NG per DL. So, test. so inflammation talk, just because we were on the topic already, why do you think that there wasn't a discussion around healthy lifestyles with the whole COVID thing? Like that wasn't brought up at all. I think there was an indirect um, link. Like we can see that a lot of lifestyle slash nutrition-related chronic diseases, um, those patients that have those or are managing them typically had the worst symptoms and were usually the ones that were hospitalized, right? Um, There were those few healthy people that got COVID and were in the hospital, yes. But for the most part, the data shows those chronic diseases put you at a lot greater risk. So, yes, it wasn't really talked about um, necessarily specifics, but you could kind of see from the data that, yes, lifestyle plays a big role in the outcome. Think about our culture, a pill for an ill, right? Mm -hmm. So, and there, you know, it's not that vaccination isn't a good way to go, but we also have to think about supporting the host nutritionally. And I think Mm -hmm. that we lose, we, we're, we're so used to modern medicine, which is like, here you go. Here's your med, here's your antibiotic for your infection. Here's your vaccine for this virus that I think it's easy. It's, it's a, it's kind of a problem that people are more lax about wellness because there's all these conventional medical interventions that are life-saving. Sure. Yeah. I have Hulu with ads. I'm not rich, but every ad is a different pill. That's like, consult your doctor but you can take this look at how bright the sky is today like you can take this pill Mm -hmm. and sitting there i easy it's very easy to call and to get it because yeah exactly even for like simple things take this and you'll be happy and you don't have to worry exactly and it's so wild that that is our culture because i mean you said it a couple times i haven't really been out of the country much but you said it's not like that in europe like you don't advertise pills in europe in lieu of like a healthy lifestyle. It's just, it's so weird where we are. Yeah. I just want you to see fruit in a different country. Cause you're like, Oh, it's not super shiny and full of steroids and there's brown spots on bananas and like a pear is brown. Like it's just a whole different thing. And then when you go here, it's like everything's spit shined and there's food everywhere. Like it just, I don't know. It's very different. It's just very different in other parts of the world. But I will, I will probably never understand how we got so far away from movement is medicine. And when, I mean, we're generally all the same age. So when we were all growing up, if you were under the idea and mindset of, I'm not going to take a Tylenol because I feel weird, it's probably because I'm dehydrated. So I'm just going to drink water and then I'll probably be okay. Or I'm super hungry right now. 
You might not be. You might just be really. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com thirsty so drink water wait 30 minutes and see if you still are hungry and try to trigger something else in your body and we were always made fun of for that i'm like what why they're like well just take an advil I'm like i don't want an advil like it upsets my stomach like i don't need that right. so <laughs> i don't i don't know like where that needs to start and this is what we've talked about before and i'm, I'm sure you two have talked about it too is when the pandemic hit, it was such a missed opportunity to just kind of reset and then kind of shift focus and then shoot a different azimuth and say, why don't we just put better eating to a forefront and see how we can help more people and then go take a walk. It might help even like regulatory issues. I don't know if you guys have animals, but if you just let your dog do zoomies, they're probably going to have like an excited poop. It's the same thing. Like Humans need the same thing. So just go run around. You might see what happens. Um, but it's weird because they, they shut down all the outside activities, too. So they were, like, actively not letting you do that stuff. The, the typical things that are supportive of a, health, of a healthy immune system, yes, there yeah. was reduced access, less socialization, less physical activity. Um, yeah. I have a question on kale. Mm-hmm. It's a superfood. Why do you massage it? That's my real question. To open up the fibers, Derek, within the leaves. <laughs> Next question. Anyways... <laughs> There's pre-massaged kale that's bagged in I many grocery stores. This. I hate the Wait, fact that you're massaging yeah, kale. It's, I have not yeah, seen so it it's either. it's pre-massaged, pre-washed <laughs> kale See, that's I'm in a bag. See, I'm crazy. We buy it every week to my house. I literally had a what kale salad. What grocery store? What? No free shout-outs. Wegmans. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's right by um, you know those like bag chop salads that you can buy where it's just like this one's Asian, this one's Mediterranean, this yeah. one's it's it's like right next to that, and it's mm. pre-massaged and it you just. Break it open. It's got the super cheap, flimsy plastic bag that it comes in, but it's pre-washed, pre-massaged. Interesting. Is that – how do you know if that's – I mean, it's it's real kale because, like, you're not. You know, like, you're, you're in Mother Earth when you're eating it. But how do you know if that's worth buying or should you just buy kale? You're getting duped. That's what you're getting. Yeah. Unless how do you know you're not getting duped? You have some kind of physical limitation that prevents you from being able to do that. Then I don't think you need – to do that? It's kind of like <laughs> buying your butternut squash cut up, which takes like a huge 
bicep and a giant knife. You know, you can just, you know, someone else is doing it. We're getting your, your, your vegetables all ready to go. Your stew, stew veggie mix mm-hmm. is all ready to go. It's kind of, it's just a convenience measure. Okay, so it's still okay to eat. Yeah. Okay. As long I'm not as, losing nutritional value. As long no. as it wasn't, okay. you know, massaged by the guy on Seinfeld who didn't wash his hands. 100%. The yes. 100%. But speaking of losing nutritional value, you do lose a lot of nutritional value in your food when you cook things and in the microwave, right? Like those are, the, that's, you're losing a lot in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if not you heat stuff, no? Oh, okay. I was under a misimpression then. Well, it depends on how you sure. how you heat it up. If you steam, it retains a lot more. If you boil, it all gets leached out. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I know you want well, to I was going to say the types of nutrients matter too. Like your B vitamins, water soluble. So if you're boiling food, then you're going to dump them down the drain mm. with the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, minerals, you could turn your food to ash. The minerals will still be measurable there. So you don't really lose a lot of minerals um, Damn. with cooking. I did not know that. Yeah, you heard it here first. Just eat ash. No, minerals are still in there. <laughs> we also don't have be carcinogenic, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I was just going to say we don't have the cellulase enzyme, which is the enzyme that degrades cell walls. So mm. cooking helps improve the bioavailability. Now, what about microwaves, though? That's a different story, right? Like microwaves should be avoided or no? Or does it all depend? I feel like your well, business is like it all depends. This is kind of one of those. I know. I feel like a politician. Fringy, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's one of those fringy things. I'll tell you, I had a patient experiment. She microwaved her water and then poured it into her plants, and the plants died. So, you know, it's. I'm sure something's changing, you know, on a molecular it, level. It, it, I mean, it has like to be because of the, the wavelengths. Something. It has mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Uh, and also, I I understand that it's not as safe from a um, a food sta- safety standpoint. If you're you know heating up meat, it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily cook evenly. And then also, I think the microwaves can cause cataracts if you just open the door and don't actually stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that or hear that. Yeah, I'm terrified. I actually have a friend of mine who refuses to own a microwave, so everything is stovetop or broiled. Even, I could not like, tell you the last time that I used my microwave. He doesn't have a toaster either. I'm scared of two things right now, microwaves and plastics, and oh, it, for no reason. Well, I guess there are some reasons, reasons, but like the, reasons. for some reason, they're just like put in my mind, and now I just don't use them at all because I hate them. I get really passionate about things that I just don't ever have them <laughs> Listen, in my life ever our again. Si- our society is being infiltrated with estrogens. There, there's estrogen in the plastics. BPA is estrogenic. Our agrochemicals, pesticides, they're estrogenic. There's birth control in our water supply. It's, it's, it gets in and it disrupts people's hormones. There's increased rates of andropause and um, increased rates of female cancer. And this is functional medicine stuff. And yes, somebody's going to be like, she's crazy. Well, you know, hey, we I got- heard it on NPR the one day I was driving and I'm like, yes, it's on NPR. Like other Thank people you. are listening to this besides, you know, just us reading about it in our yes. IFM We keep our cows pregnant all the time. Our dairy has so much estrogen in it. And it's like, you know. So what is up with that? Why are we the only animal that has milk after like from an animal for so long this gets into politics well i think history too because think you know before there were grocery stores and we have all this abundance of things available you needed calories nutrients protein fat to survive right 
and thinking about i think cheese like it's the, an emergency food exactly <laughs> well i mean it's a complete food mm-hmm, exactly so i think it's it's really like a historical thing that was done because probably more necessary at the time and maybe we don't need it anymore, but it's just like kind of ingrained. Sure. In I our... think where you are going is how come we need to eat so much of it to be healthy? No, no, she humans? she hit it on the head. But to your point too about politics, I think a lot of it is that the lobbyists are very powerful and wealthy, and they're not going anywhere. So they're just constantly in the ear to keep things on the shelf that we might not at a, mo- a molecular level need. Because I don't know if we really need milk as a species, right? Need it? I would say the short answer is no. Do you need chicken? Do you need, you know, to eat salmon? Do you need to eat shrimp? Maybe the answer to all those is no. Do you want to because maybe some of them are healthy? Yes. Or maybe preference is there, like you enjoy it? Yes. Um, So I think it's definitely complex. Mm -hmm. Which leads us into milks. Why are we why are we milking nuts? <laughs> Pause. Because I don't understand why we have cashew and almond and you know what I mean? Like what what happened to just a cow? There's a lot of dairy sensitivity and it it may be related to the fact that we've bred cows that produce a different kind of protein than the traditional cow, the French gurney cow. So uh, traditional cows produce a casein or a protein called A2. I love casein. It's more similar to <laughs> breast milk human breast milk um, and uh, the cows that we have bred uh, Holstein for example larger cow can can consume grain without getting an intestinal infection they happen to produce a, a milk that has a, a casein called a1 so it's it doesn't sound like a big difference but it and is not. well it, I mean molecularly it's like one little it, it's it's not yeah it's a tiny little it, it's a it's a snip it's a polymorphism. Um, so it's a small polymorphism that has detrimental effects. Yeah, we went from being able to digest it pretty well to having Not. issues with it, especially in large amounts and with the little ones. Is that the same thing with gluten? Because mm, yeah. for years we never heard of a gluten allergy ever. And then no. all of a sudden it showed up. Well, it's been around for a long time. I think maybe people are just becoming more aware. Like, <laughs> as Well, do you mean... Just gluten sensitivity or like celiac or yeah, both? Or yeah, I mean, for like 25 plus years, I never met anybody with it. And then all of a sudden I hit 30 and everybody's well, got some we've something. Gen- we've genetically modified our wheat products to have much higher levels of gluten so that there's uh, shelf life. There's benefits to the gluten in, term- in, in terms of food manufacturing, shelf life, mouthfeel, the chewy texture. But it's just a lot more. We sure. don't use the long fermentation process anymore. Where, mm-hmm. like, what is it? Seven days of, of like letting the dough like ferment and and break down the gluten. Um, so it, it's a different crop, and we eat a lot of it. That's and, yeah. That's the other so. thing. Not to cut you off. That was the other thing that you and I were talking about. Is bread's not supposed to last as long as. Bread, like you're not mm-hmm. supposed to go in a grocery store and buy a loaf of bread from three days ago. Like bread's not supposed to last that long, right? Which is kind of and then it's it's covered for how long, right? Right? You don't eat it all in one day. That's oh, so gross to think about. Do people actually? Is there as many people with celiacs as they say that they are, or do people just confuse a gluten intolerance with just an unhealthy lifestyle? Like, if you say you have gluten intolerance but it's like no bro you just ate three pieces of pizza like maybe that's why do you see that 
at all where people just aren't they're misdiagnosing themselves it all depends derek not if they work with us they don't. right there you go <laughs> because well, we'll I've do been... an elimination diet and then systematically challenge foods back in so they can identify is this a problem and they could challenge like a whole grain gluten food mm-hmm. like bulgur or something or barley mm-hmm. and that's not pizza right. and if it causes them symptoms then they know gluten is a problem for them yep which leads us into our another question if you just you're having something your entire life, ice cream. I'm going to be healthy. No more ice cream. You cut ice cream for like seven months. No ice cream at all. And then all of a sudden you treat yourself to a little ice cream, and then it's just like you're lactose intolerant. What's going on? Like why does that happen? So when you take away a food, yeah. you allow the body to heal. If there is a sensitivity present, eighty percent of your immune system is in your gut. So if you take away a food that you've had a sensitivity to all along and have been creating low grade inflammation to protect your body against the food all along, when you take the way the food away, the inflammation heals and then you reintroduce. And you get a very robust response from your body. And sometimes lactose intolerance is something that happens due to casein sensitivity because the gut's all torn up from the protein. Or wheat gluten sensitivity. The gut's all torn up from the proteins that the villi, which make the enzymes, aren't putting out the enzymes. So now we've got lactose intolerance, which is the inability to digest a sugar on top of an immune response to the protein in a food. You know what I mean? Sure. And there's all kinds of intolerances besides lactose. Dinner at your house must be a blast. Ah, <laughs> uh, my poor husband. <laughs> do you learn all this stuff just by being in it? I mean, you guys say that you do like trainings and stuff like that to keep you up on all this information, or are you mm-hmm. just like killing it from the start? I like to think we were killing it from the start. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> No, but there's, there's gotta so be so much, much. to learn. Yeah. It's impossible. Like we could learn. We're always new. students. Exactly. We're always yeah. taking coursework to, to uh, you, know, you know. And don't you think research is changing a lot too? Like depending on how well certain you know tests might be conducted. Like sometimes research is based on observational studies. For a long time, you're just looking at observationally, and then you might find out like, oh, it's actually that you know. Eating blueberries is providing your body with the legatannins, which aren't actually bioavailable to you, but the bacteria in your gut can ferment them. And then that makes urolithin A, which is actually really anti-inflammatory. So it's like you start learning the processes, like how it's happening, because science is kind of moving along and telling us more. So there's always something new to learn. Mm -hmm. So who's doing the research? RDs? Because the FDA basically just says yay or nay. They're like the board, basically, right? So who's who's in the trenches figuring all this out? Functional medicine practitioners, RDs who are working in the branch of functional medicine. Um, universities. Universities. Naturopathic doctors. Mm-hmm. Physicians who've gone into functional medicine. And is that who leads the trainings that you guys go to? I mean, these people's credentials have probably got to just be like real weird. It's real intense. <laughs> All the letters. It, we've done a lot of training through the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy and then also the Institute for Functional Medicine. And so the board of, uh, well, the whole, the faculty for these organizations, um, RDs, NDs, MDs, um, gosh, what else, Noel? Immunologists. Immunologists, you name it. People who have decided that they have, they've hit a wall in their practice with the conventional methods. 
and they're tired of people walking in and not getting any further on whatever the treatment might be, the medication or whatever, and they want to get dig deeper in and find out how to really help people get their life back, right. not just be, not just survive, but get be well. To thrive. Feel mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Is there like a... I probably already know the answer, and the answer is it depends, but <laughs> is there like a basis, one size fits all, like not for a thriving life, but like just to reset your body? Like we hear a lot mm-hmm. about going back to the basics, like just don't eat processed foods and just going back to basically what you would find on a farm. Is that a good basis to just like reset your body and be able to go into different directions or is that not? Or does it all depend? You were right about it depends. But I think for <laughs> if you were to say for most people, would it apply? I would say yes. Like a whole foods, you know, I say plant-based. It doesn't mean vegetarian or vegan. It just means the bulk of the volume of what you eat should be plants. And then the protein and fat, you know, also makes up an adequate amount for each individual. But thinking fill up your plate or your bowl with vegetables, whole grains, I mean, 10 legumes. to 12 servings of veggies a day is really what we should be getting mm-hmm. and to help get tap into those micronutrients that you had brought up earlier. Um, and so. water, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. water is obviously not a food, but it's a necessity. Should you be getting a gallon of water, or, again, does it depend on – I feel like that one doesn't depend. I think I hit a question there that it doesn't depend. It's a gallon, right? No, it does <laughs> no, depend. It it's based on your weight. Your weight. <laughs> weight, it's a physical activity. I mean, some people are sweating. going to the gym and sweating a lot, yeah, or running, training for a marathon. I mean, mm-hmm. you could do a pre-post weight if you do sweat a lot when you exercise and calculate, oh, how much, you know, have I lost? Should I replace a little extra on top of what my, you know, recommended daily intake should be? So it does depend, but I think a general rule of thumb is half of your weight in ounces. Okay. It's like super, super general. That also depends. But for most people, they could use that. I just want to chime in. Uh, congestive heart failure or renal disease patients should follow the fluid restrictions given by their doctor. It'll True. be far less than mm-hmm. what like we just 1,500 said. milliliters, 1,800 milliliters. Of water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Inter- That'd be like 1.8 liters for the day. Or just 25 like mils per kilogram or 20 mils per kilogram. That's so wild. There's so much when it comes to this stuff. Like, honestly. I, I feel unhealthy. I want, if we can in the future, can we have like one of you on a separate episode to talk about your specialty? We'd love because to I am so fa- like we're talking about a lot of stuff, but a lot of the stuff is like thirty thousand foot doesn't even get into your specialties at all. Like we haven't talked about MS or any type of neurological thing as it relates to food at all. Mm-hmm. So would you guys be open to that? Like get all four of you or five of you on different oh yeah things. We I would feel like love that'd be so to sweet. Do that we love nerding out. We, we might have to <laughs> we might have to space them out so our listeners can breathe a little bit. But like I I feel like that'd be a sweet conversation with each one of them getting into the specifics because yeah. we're not talking about anything groundbreaking here. It's just like healthy lifestyle, healthy eating. Like just eat healthy, but. Getting into the differences would be fascinating. Yeah, like does a strawberry create an adverse reaction if you have MS? Like short answer, no. <laughs> how do you know? Like, how does someone find that out? Like, oh, you have MS, eat this. Well, you know what I mean, and then they just like stare and see if there's a reaction. Well, no, you don't stare and see if there's a reaction. So, 
you can look at what are foods that have been studied and we have a lot of data and we know that they're anti-inflammatory. We know what part of the immune system this food is upregulating or downregulating. And we know in MS, it's an autoimmune driven, you know, disease process. And can usually you explain a little more about autoimmunity? Yeah. So your immune cells are recognizing self-tissue as an antigen and attacking. So it doesn't happen all day, every day, all the time, but the goal is to keep it in remission. So the goal would be keep inflammation as low as possible because anytime you have something driving inflammation, the risk of that balance tipping towards autoimmune activation is there. So um, this analogy I think is really good. is like your body, your, your biology is like a grassy meadow, right? And now picture you, you're standing in this grassy meadow. There's a huge ditch in the meadow. If you are anywhere in the meadow, but not in the ditch, you feel good. If you're in the ditch, that's like an autoimmune flare. You feel terrible with MS. Maybe it's like, you know, overwhelming fatigue, whatever the symptom might be that that person manages. But if you're out of the ditch and you feel fine, the goal would be to stay as far away from the ditch as possible. So when life nudges you forward, you don't fall in. Mm -hmm. So like a poor night's sleep, stress at work. Uh, nothing to eat, so I ate the pizza or whatever it might be. These things are all nudging you forward because you're increasing the inflammatory cytokines. Maybe it's um, you caught a cold, maybe anything. Anything could have happened. It could be a traumatic experience. Trauma can also drive inflammation. So these things that nudge you forward, if overall your lifestyle, which includes your sleep, your stress, your diet, your physical activity, is keeping you far away from the ditch, which, like you said, how do you know what to eat? We could go into like details. What like butyrophilin? You should just at least mention that. That's so interesting. The what? The butyrophilin. Oh yeah. So that's also something in cheese or in dairy that yeah. looks molecularly similar to myelin. And so, um, hmm? sorry. Go ahead. Oh, What's myelin? Myelin yeah. is like the sheath that protects our nerves, our neurons. And in MS, our immune system is recognizing myelin as an antigen. So your immune cells are now attacking myelin. And once that damage is done, um, you're going to lose, you know, maybe not all the time because you there's different forms of MS, right? So you can get relapsing, remitting. So you have the damage there, you have symptoms, but then you go back into remission. So you recover, you know, whatever it was that you, whatever symptoms you were dealing mm -hmm. with during that relapse. Um, but... If you have something that looks molecularly similar to myelin and you're eating it, and like Trisha mentioned earlier, 80% of your immune system is in the gut, we have these dendritic cells. They sit there and sample the lumen of the gut all the time so they can see what's coming in. So they see this molecule that looks like something that they already attack, and they're like, hey, guys, I think we have a problem here. And so that alone could be something that could trigger it, especially if you already have inflammation going on. Sure. So... There's a lot there because every time it, you know, a dendritic cell presents the antigen, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a response, but the risk is there. So why run the risk, sure. right? Right. And that's one of the hard parts with autoimmune conditions is sometimes people are like, well, I ate this one day and I was fine. And then I ate it another day and it was awful and terrible. And I felt horrible. Food is bio closer to the ditch. You're mm -hmm. literally communicating with your immune system when you eat. Right. Right. So that's wild. Yeah. What are... This is probably a loaded question, but like beef, red meat. 
I've heard so many studies on it. It's good for you. It's not good for you. I'm sure it depends. But like, what is, what is the whole thing? Should we be eating red meat as a society? Well, grass-fed beef has K2 in it, which helps with the absorption of calcium and reduces the risk of hardening of the arteries. And it's it's really, you know, an, an essential nutrient really that we don't get because a lot of, well, we have hard, a hard time getting because our animals are, are fed grain basically. Um, are the labels grass-fed beef in the store actually grass-fed beef or is that some of like the FDA loopholes that they can do for marketing? So they are grass-fed, but a lot of them are grain finished, but mm. the cattle are actually eating grass most of their life okay but it would depend i mean you would have to talk to the farmer to really know and unless you are like looking at the label you know what farm this is coming from it's hard to know a lot of them likely are grass-fed and then grain finished um but we have great farmers markets here i see the smile he's like yes beef (laughs) but it's still something that should be you just be mindful of it right you don't want to eat it every day. You know what is grass-fed? Deer. You know what you can do? Hunt and with me. And they're lean. Super lean. Mm-hmm. Venison is red meat, and it's super clean. Yes, game meat is great, and it doesn't tend to have the toxins no bioaccumulated because you're not getting them from a farm where there's been treatments. So grass-fed beef actually has a nutrient that doesn't or prohibits the hardening of arteries because we've been told heart attack, red meat, you're done. Mm-hmm. K1, vitamin K1, you can produce in your gut using bacteria, using your microbiome, your your actual Mm. commensal bacteria. K2 is a nutrient that you really can't get except through natto, um, which is a uh, fermented vegetarian source. Um, So it's like Japanese. So so not natto. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) N-A-T-T-O. So, yeah, we need to be eating grass-fed meat sources even if it's not beef you know it, it, we need to get our k2 from somewhere and yes it does reduce the risk of heart disease that's uh, wild and it, it reduces um osteoporosis because your calcium knows where to go i'm so excited to have one-off conversations with everybody in this office because i'm going to freak out but do you so do you work with doctors or like how are patients sent to you, I guess? Are they coming into you? Are you? Do you run into issues with doctors that would just rather prescribe something rather than pushing you off to or pushing their patient off to somebody in the nutritional field? Or how is that connection there? We're independent. So we get a lot of patients looking for functional medicine, looking for the nutrition element, and that's us. So, so. it's more research on the patient side rather than a direct, okay. But we do have many uh, referral partners, Dent Neurologic, uh, Rheumatology and Wellness Center, um, fun- other functional medicine doctors, Dr. Kaplan, they tend to refer. Uh, and then the community of primary care physicians will refer for general nutrition. We still do the traditional of course, we're always trying to sneak in the functional stuff in with the mm-hmm. traditional, like, I'm going to help you with this, but let's also... Because there's always some underlying root cause that yeah. might be overlooked. But I think a lot of our referrals, like from general, it's like diabetes, kidney disease, hypertension. The community of physicians that are not our functional network tend to refer, as Noelle is saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the patients who look us up online tend to be the ones that are like, I can't, I've had IBS or diarrhea mm-hmm. for 10 years and nothing's better, or my autoimmune disease is out of control, or I just don't feel well, and I all my blood work says I'm great and everything's fine, but I don't feel well. What mm-hmm. do we do next? 
so, oh, that's got to be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, so this could become off as could come off as crass, I guess. But like the diabetes, high blood pressure, that's probably like boring to you guys at this point, right? Because it's somewhat traditional across all <laughs> patients where if somebody comes in off the street and they're like, I have this problem, you're like, ooh, let's figure it out. You're right. It's not as exciting to, we, but they all kind of have these things too, right? Mm-hmm. So by the time they've developed so many complex issues, there's going to be the those elements. There's going to be the diabetes and the hypertension. Sure. But you're right. It's so much, it's so exciting and rewarding to see the magic happen. Sure. Um, to see them get better. Mm-hmm. But there's still magic even with the, patients that might not be super complex. Yes. I have this patient that came in once. I met him once and suspected something just from going through his diet and his symptoms. And I'm like, you know, this, you know, it's only our first time meeting. We might go down a couple different paths here, but I really think this could be histamine intolerance. And he was told like, oh, you just have anxiety, take some anti-anxiety medicine and you'll be fine. And he ate a lot of um, flavored instant oatmeal. I will not forget this, like a lot of it. And every day, so it's like frequently in his diet pattern. And I told him what I thought, and I told him this might not be the way we go, but let's just try it. And he messaged me and was like, my life is so much better now. Thank you so much. And I never saw him again. Just we because you removed in oatmeal? No, the histamines. That so, was okay, the gotcha. clue, and then she gave him a little histamine. Oh, uh, yes. okay. Yeah. Histamine and is what makes, like, is okay. red and itchy and painful. It's what, like, I think allergies. Mm-hmm. But for some people, it causes reflux-like symptoms and can even cause anxiety-like symptoms and panic attacks. And I felt like he was checking all the boxes of histamine, and I'm like, let's just try it, even though we've only met once. And then I never saw him again. I was like, wow. It was still satisfying, <laughs> though, because he was, like, so thankful. He's like, wow, thank you so much. And we're done. Wow. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> That's incredible. I was like, okay. So does insurance cover what you guys do, or is this more of an out-of-pocket Oh, thing? we're credentialed with insurances. Okay. So we accept Blue Cross, Univera, United Healthcare. Well, Empire Plan, not United Healthcare anymore, unfortunately. Um, uh, did I say Independent Health, mm-hmm. Blue Cross, Blue Shield? So, the, yeah, uh, preventative care tends to be included in people's health plans, and uh, we are pretty savvy at coding and know how to get people covered most of the time cool um we do have private pay for those who um who don't have the coverage sure and how can people find you do you have social media yes we have a website and people can sign up for our portal right on our website they can call in and talk to our administrative assistant she'll get them set up with an appointment she'll do the benefit check She'll call the insurance company to determine coverage for them at the time of scheduling. And mm. um, and then they can fill out all our paperwork in the portal. It's all digital. Um, but, yeah, they can they can find us on Facebook. They can find us at www.buffalonutritionanddietetics.com. Perfect. I am so excited for these follow-up interviews. It's going to be the best thing in the world. There's gonna yeah, there's gonna be a very just make sure you inform everybody. Yeah. Like We're these excited. two dudes are gonna go in deep <laughs> into the weeds. Nice. <laughs> there's just yeah. so much gray out there when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. And generally nobody knows what they're consuming. And they think just because they have a salad every day, it's good for them, but they put a whole bottle of dressing on it. It's like, dude, you're doing yourself so much worse than if you just had a sandwich. Mm-hmm. But then you run into the sodium in the turkey. It goes from my whole time. <laughs> but anyway, 
that's Thank a good you habit. You're mindful of it. Yeah, but anxiety, that's, that's how it gets you. So <laughs> thank you guys so much for your time. Is there anything else at a high level we didn't talk about that you wanted to before we dive into these paths? We have five locations. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. So uh, we have 501 John James Audubon Parkway, which is North Amherst. We have our office in Den Tower, which is where Noel practices out of. And we have an office in Kenmore. Uh, right in the heart of, you know, the village of Kenmore and uh, in Orchard Park in Sterling Medical Center. And we have an office on Delaware Avenue right across from Canisius High School in one of the old mansions down there. So so do each one of the personnel that work here work in those satellite offices? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Exclusively, we each practice in our own space. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Are they okay if we just, like, set up shop? <laughs> <laughs> You can meet him anytime you want, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Does everybody have a conference room like this? Because this is perfect. Um, Sound controlled? Uh, not every office okay. has a big conference It depends, Derek. Room. It depends. Yeah. Yeah. Everything <laughs> depends. <Damn. Yeah. laughs> so Carly is at the Delaware office. It's a beautiful conference room, like much, much more antique looking than this because it's, it's an old mansion. Mm-hmm. But that you're welcome to meet us there sometime. Sounds good. So now do you guys see the value in meeting with an RD? Because everything depends. So everything get depend. someone to pay attention to you specifically. Yeah, yeah. make me feel special. <laughs> well, people, I think, also are turned off with the whole, this is going to cost me an arm and a leg. And they don't understand mm-hmm. that it's covered with insurance. Some of it can be, or most of it can be covered with insurance. Mm-hmm. So just coming in and sitting down, they can email you through the site, right? Yeah. yeah. So is there like a generic email that they can email and then be directed to the specialty that it would be most applicable to, or is it just find who you want to work with and then email them? Well, they can actually sign up for the portal and they get a new patient application form pop up. It populates and then they can select the provider that they want. And the website's very clear about who specializes in what. There's also a contact form. If they're not sure they want to set up the portal, they can just type in what what's the best method to reach them and what they are interested in. And then Reese, our administrative assistant, contacts them and talks to them and pairs them up with the right one, with the right dietitian. I have a last... And we're doing telehealth, too. So people, oh, nice. That's huge. People can't drive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I have one last question. Not to open up too big of a can of worms, because you're going to be on as well during your specialty, but at a high broad overview umbrella pregnancy and diet is obviously a thing so how do you combat what's good for you and the little one but you are also having cravings because that's normal where you just might want to like smell a pickle out of nowhere (laughs) for no reason i think it's possible to to reach your nutritional needs without exceeding them as long as you're getting enough okay protein, carbohydrates. I'll give a personal example. When I was when I was earlier in my pregnancy, I was waking up in the night starving and I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on? I got to my calorie goal. I told you I've been logging in my fitness pal more lately. <laughs> I wasn't getting my protein. Started to clock in my protein just right, sleep like a baby. So I think cravings can be you're missing something. Sure. Um, of course, there's the pregnancy-related cravings, but certainly those can be worked in without exceeding and not and, and to prevent excessive weight gain during pregnancy. It's not good for the baby. Yeah. Interesting. And then personally, are you going to have one glass of red wine within <laughs> nine months or are you just going to avoid it? 
Oh no, no, I'm definitely <laughs> no alcohol. I've I've heard about that. Have you seen the the Big Bang Theory, the episode where um, there's the OBGYN and she keeps telling? I think it was Bernadette who's pregnant. She's like, "Can I have this?" And the OBGYN is like, "Just a little bit." And it's like all this <laughs> stuff that we say, "No, don't do that." Yeah, no, I'm very careful, and I want to make sure we're good on all good in the hood. For sure. I love it. (laughs) And nutrition during pregnancy is actually really important for the baby epigenetically, like in the future. What what was that word you said? What was that long one? Epigenetically. (laughs) What what was that mean? So you have genetics, right? And you can think of like that's the recipe for your code. mm -hmm, Like whatever you're going to make for this baby. But then the epigenetics is like. I guess you could think of that as like, you know, the cook who's preparing the recipe. They're going to have a different style than somebody else, right? So how is this going to turn out? Like, what's the product going to be? You're predisposed to a certain, you know, type of family issue. But if you adjust your diet and lifestyle, you can your, your genes may not express in an adverse way, depending on how... Mm-hmm. I love the analogy. That's so awesome. so if my mom ate chocolate all the time when I was in her <laughs> belly, does that mean that I like chocolate all the time? It well, it's the <sighs> studies show that <laughs> studies show that the maternal diet does impact the the child's palate and also um you know, I'm carrying a girl baby. My my daughter has already developed all her ovaries, so I'm actually impacting my granddaughter or grandchildren. Mm-hmm. With what I'm eating right now, so that's what again. That's, I'm never so glad I'm a guy. <laughs> my God, I'll throw back this glass of whiskey. I'm I know. Good. How do you handle that, knowing that two generations down are impacted if you decide to eat a cheese stick? I can't even. <laughs> you know what? We're just gonna talk about that later during the one-on-one. Let's wrap it up because I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> so yeah. It's wild. We can continue asking questions because I just want to ask questions about alcohol, but we got to get, we're, we're hour and 15 so we can wrap this up. We'll continue talking at a later time. So (laughs) thank you both so much for your time. This has been a blast. This has been so knowledgeable on our end and there's just so much that everybody needs to hear. So thank you again. If you are in the market or if you do want to basically reset your life, I mean, it's dietitian, nutrition, everything is so important to you. And if you want somebody to help walk you through it, hit these ladies up over here. They said their website, buffalonutritionanddietetics.com. Correct. Nailed it. Uh, So hit them up and then you can basically have it completely paid for and your body will thank you in the future. I promise you that. So thank you again. Very very much appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Of course. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.